All right, good morning. We are on, ironically, the last of the four last things, even though this is session three. Sorry. There's really four Sundays in Advent, but next Sunday we'll be greening the church and preparing for nine lessons and carols during the Sunday school hour. We're going to take a week or two of, of break from Sunday school in the weeks following that as well. So this is the wrap-up for 2021 Sunday School, the last of the four last things, hell and heaven. Some heavy-duty themes today, and so we should begin with prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has committed to thy holy church the care and nurture of thy people, enlighten with thy wisdom those who teach and those who learn that rejoicing in the knowledge of thy truth, they may worship thee and serve thee from generation to generation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Hell and heaven, the last of the four last things, the first two being death, which we took a whole class on, and judgment, which we took a whole class on. Whole class meaning 40 minutes. So could you say more? Absolutely. You could say a lot more about both of those. Nevertheless, if we're preparing and earnestly preparing for the second coming of Christ, then we ought to have in mind, or we ought to have prepared ourselves somewhat for death, for judgment, for hell, and for heaven. And so we discussed today hell and heaven. And as you can guess, if we're going to cram two into one session, we're really not going to get to the heart of everything today, but I'm hoping we're going to get to some important points. But first of all, you see a little stopwatch here, or a stopwatch, what do you call that? That's a stopwatch, right? Pocket watch, pocket watch, sorry. Pocket watch. First of all, when we talk about time and eternity... I want to say that in, in terms of logic, we typically make what I would call a category mistake, okay? When we say that something lasts forever, we actually can't comprehend that saying. We say it, it rolls off the tongues, the tongue, we have words for it, but that does not uh, mean the same thing as I understand what world without end means. The word incomprehensible literally means can't reach your arms entirely around and touch on the other side. You can put your arms out, but you can't get to the other side of it. You're, you're, the way we're created, our brains are entirely bound up in time. And the idea of eternity is something that is to be wondered at. Not to be unbelieved because we can't comprehend it. Now that's a very enlightenment way of thinking. But rather to be, uh, to be understood, to be at the boundary of our understanding. And so, to say that eternity is a really, really long time is a category mistake. Okay, You have uh, the category of time in which things begin and end and begin and end and begin and end, which is all we've ever known. There was a time when you were not, there is a time that you were here, there is a time that you'll be in the grave, there is a time that you'll resurrect, and when you're in heaven there will be a, uh uh-oh, I don't understand this. That's it. Sorry. (laughs) To say that it's a really, really long time is our our way of of, uh, baby talk about something we can't quite get, um, eternity. 
So it's okay to say it's a really, really long time, but don't think that because you've said it's a really, really long time that you've understood it. Um, uh, you could easily make the case that something we could potentially understand more would be a state of being. You just are one thing, or you are the other, or you aren't one thing, or you aren't the other. Maybe that comes closer to understanding what it would be like to be out of time and to be in eternity. Um, but to, to look at your watch and say, oh, I understand eternity. Eternity is these numbers going on and never stopping. There's no way to get it. Sorry. <laughs> um, we cannot know what eternity will be like. Now, uh, we're going to talk about hell, first of all. Hell and then heaven. And if you want to see some horrible pictures, Google hell and click images, and you'll see some horrible stuff there. But we're going to have, uh, there, are, there are a few different takes on hell, each of which could be supported uh, by the New Testament and the Old Testament in one way or another. But first of all, let's take, uh, take one on hell. That is, that hell-bound souls will rise in the general resurrection and then literally burn in eternal and excruciating agony without end. Okay. Um, the word that is used in the New Testament that Jesus uses is the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is a burning trash pile outside of the walls of Jerusalem, which if you go to Jerusalem, you can actually see where they used to burn their trash. And the fire would never go out. It was constantly burning so they could always throw the next falafel wrapper into the fire. And it would keep burning, keep burning, keep burning. Because if the fire goes out, how are you going to light a trash heap like that again? Right? So there's always a smoking pile of trash heap of worthless things that have come to their end and are no more in Gehenna. What have I got? Oh, battery. Give me strength. <laughs> Literally, give me strength. Okay. Battery. Talk amongst yourselves for 0.4 seconds. No. Yeah, so that uh, Gehenna, what I'm saying is that if we are to take what Jesus says by Gehenna, where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies... We read that without an understanding of what Gehenna actually is and say, oh, I understand what that is. That's world without end, time never stopping, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And you can't even say on and on enough times. Burning, 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 worms, worms, worms. That's one take on hell. In other words, that that Gehenna is a version or a vision of eternity. And that this would be some... Uh, an infinite kind of fire. Now, there's, that is not the only take on hell, and we're going to get uh, uh, in a few minutes to why that's not the only take on hell. But there's another take, and I don't know if there's a better version for, version or word for it, but annihilationist is another word for hell, which really you could take from St. Athanasius. Now, Athanasius, in his work on the Incarnation which is kind of the whiz-bang book from the 4th century before the First Ecumenical Council on the nature of the Incarnation. St. Athanasius says, the nature of the Incarnation was that we, 
created out of nothing, ex nihilo, as the church says, out of zero, another thing that's incomprehensible. You've never seen anything created out of nothing. This pulpit was created out of a tree. The tree was from a seed. The seed was from another tree. There's no thing you've ever experienced that was created out of nothing. But in the book of Genesis, we hear and we see the creation out of nothing. We that were created out of nothing were in sin and returning in sin to nothingness again until the incarnation. This is what St. Athanasius says. This is the sorry estate of the human being in sin, is that created out of nothing and brought into existence and into relationship with God, chose nothingness again and was returning to nothing and to zero until God intervened. That's the nature of the incarnation. Christ recreates in himself. And if you want to return not to nothing, but to God, you need the incarnation, you need Jesus Christ. You can stand on the street corner, you can shout it. Everyone needs Jesus Christ. He's the answer to every question. And no one will understand you or hear you. It's just, I mean, not no one, but, but nevertheless, that annihilationist thing, and that, that is... Um, there's a bunch of different directions we could go with this, but I'm going to give you those two, and I'll show you why here in a second. Hell as annihilation or naughtiness, in other words, nothingness, naughtiness. Christ recreates us in himself, and those who are not in Christ return to their logical destiny, emptiness and nothingness. Have you ever heard of sin not uh, described so much as a thing in itself, but an absence of good. Sin as an absence of good is a big fat zero. And when our kids are behaving in a naughty way, we sometimes mean, well, what we really, what the word means is you're behaving in a zero way. All of your naughtiness will add up in the end to donut, zero. We would rather you act in a glorious way in which all of your behavior will add up into something fantastic and wonderful and weighty. But we tend towards naughtiness, don't we? We even rejoice in naughtiness. Uh, if you look at the season of what we've done with the season of, of the day of, of uh, Halloween, we rejoice in zero-ness. Um, and we, we look to the book of Revelation and we see something strange if, if we're utterly convinced of the eternal uh, suffering of those in hell. Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was also cast not into hell but into the lake of fire into which both death and hell were also cast. Are we at the boundary of our understanding? Oh yeah, a few miles back. <laughs> a few miles back was, was the boundary of our understanding. One thing you can be sure of is that you don't want to be in hell. One thing you can be sure of, or the second thing you can be sure of is, if there's a chance of you being in heaven, you've got to shoot for it, okay? <laughs> um, because... That is the nature of our, of our existence in this world, 
in the current state of affairs. And so I say uh, this, rather than trying to figure out what is the nature of hell, is it literally an eternal burning fire in which soul and body will experience excruciating agony, world without end, an incomprehensible agony, or that those who were created in order to share life with God have returned to zeroness. Either way, you don't want any part of it. Um, and you can go other directions with hell, but we don't have that much time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I think, I think is more important. And that is uh, basically answer the question, how shall we then live? Knowing that there is such a thing as hell and there is such a thing as heaven. Both of those depend on what we do now. So why don't we think about what we do now and why we do what we do now, and perhaps that will help. One of the, one of the great uh, writers of the 5th century was John Cassian, who wrote the Institutes and Conferences in order to establish monasticism in the West. His works were taken up by St. Benedict and guided Western spirituality for 15, well, at least 1,000 years, if not 1,500 years. And so should we listen to what John Cassian said? Probably, okay? So let's, let's think. First conference. Literally, the first page of what, uh, what a monk should do. And really, the, the, the question is the same for a, for, a question, for a Christian. Since in the end, heaven and hell have everything to do with what we're doing right now, perhaps we should focus on our behavior and leave presumption about what the nature of heaven and hell is like. You just know there's one you want to be and the other one you don't want to be a part of. Uh, consider first, John Cassian uh, says in his conferences, consider first the scopos and telos of Christian life. If you know what a telos scope is, you'll know what telos is. Uh, and so we'll get down to some quotes here from the first a conference where they speak to Abba Moses, not Moses Moses, but someone named Moses in the Egyptian desert. He says this, all the arts and disciplines have a certain scopos or goal and a telos, which is the end that is proper to them on which the lover of any art sets his gaze and for which he calmly and gladly endures every labor and danger and expense. He goes quickly then into the, the image of the farmer. The farmer knows that the harvest is in mind. At the beginning of the planting season, he envisions a great storehouse full of harvest, but he's got this handful of seeds. His scopos, his goal, is to plant these seeds and water them and watch them grow, but his telos is the end, the harvest. And what, what they're basically encouraging us to do here is to not only have the end in mind, but the short goal. What's the short goal? Tell me, therefore, he asks, uh, supposedly, John Cassian and his friend Germanus. Tell me, therefore, he asks, what is your goal and what is your end, which drives you to endure all these things so willingly? They're not farmers. They've gone to the Egyptian desert to talk to the mystics to find out what is the purpose of life and what should I be doing as a Christian? He asks them, what's your goal? What's your end? They say, enthusiastically, we replied, we bore all things for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Telos, the end. Good. 
You have spoken well about your end, but before anything else, you should know what ought to be your skopos or your goal by constantly clinging to which we may be able to attain our end. Is anybody ever a Boy Scout? You know what this badge is? Yes, this is the navigation or the orienteering badge, okay? Uh, I know a little bit about orienteering, not everything. But I will say this, if you're in a mountainous region or a hilly region and you need to reach a destination 10 miles away, the vision of which is blocked by all kinds of obstacles, you will orient yourself and you will find a goal that is in line with the final goal and go towards that goal. It's that mountain peak right there. That's not the destiny. That's the, that's the, that's the goal for today. The destiny is in line with it. 10 miles away. So here we are with the navigation uh, idea of, of the Christian life. We've got the telos in mind, the kingdom of God. But what's our goal? The end of our profession, this is Abba Moses, the end of our profession, as we have said, is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But the goal, or the skopos, is purity of heart, without which it is impossible for anyone to reach that end. Each day... We're working towards, in our motivations and in our actions, purity of heart. And when we get to the end of our day, one day, and we recognize that we've been impure in this way or that way, we confess our sin to God that day and we vow to do better the next day. That's our scopos. The telos is always in mind, but there's something to do today. And this is what the, the goal of the monk is, and I would say it's not a bad goal for every Christian, regardless of whether you are a, a, in a monastery or not. Joe? So in other words, it's Matthew 6.33. Hit us. Hit us with it. You're Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. In other words, there's the telos, the kingdom of God, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness is like today. In the next 20 minutes, you'll, well... 40 minutes, you'll have a chance to sin. You may be sinning right now, I don't know. I don't know, I can't read your minds. But uh, nevertheless, you'll have, you'll have a chance to sin here in the next little while, or you'll have a chance to do some kindness or some good, to say something encouraging, to be an encouragement, to repent of your sin. You'll have an opportunity to do both. Or you can be a total uh, jerk, and you can be hardened in your sin, and in your unbelief, and in your resistance, and you can persist to resist God in the next hour and a half. That's the scopos. The telos is always in mind. Very good. Yes, Sermon on the Mount. All right, so um, we're, we're talking about heaven and hell, though, here, aren't we? What I'm saying is if these are the, the final ends, heaven and hell, we should probably worry about what we're doing in the next 20 minutes rather than always agonize about something that's like way, way, and, and once you get there, it's incomprehensible anyway. So, okay, okay, okay. Just today. How about today? The next hour. Can we get through that? We skip the, therefore in Cassian's conferences to the 11th conference, which is on perfection. And he says there are three things that restrain people from vice or, or that move them towards perfection. So here we are. We're doing short-term today. Okay, what are the motivations, or that, or the, the the items that restrain people? Number one, the fear of Gehenna. 
or the fear of present laws that holds people back from doing uh, you know you want to rob that bank today but they're closed on Sunday so tomorrow tomorrow I'll rob the bank but then, but then you heard this verse today about Gehenna and you said oh Gehenna you know what let's skip the, the bank robbery let's skip the other thing <clears throat> present laws, you don't want to suffer either today or tomorrow. Uh, That is a type of fear that would restrain people. Number two, hope and desire for the kingdom of heaven. That may not necessarily restrain you from vice so much as move you towards perfection. Hope for reward. It's possible that I could be rewarded for something. And the rewards, as they're described in the New Testament, are pretty good. So why don't I just drop the whole thing about, you know, let's stay away from Gehenna and let's, let's go on towards well done, good and faithful servant. I have put you in charge of a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Why don't we move towards uh, hope and desire for reward in the kingdom of heaven? But finally, the disposition for the good itself and the love of virtue, in essence, regardless of what happens to you. This is a final and highest type of motivation. And so we have three different motivations. We're talking about scopos or or what to do in this life right now in the next hour and a half rather than uh, agonizing about the eternity one way or the other. And your motivations might be in their lowest form, fear of burning in hell. If that's what you need... You notice I don't preach burning in hell all the time, but I could, okay? (laughs) The reason I don't is because I'm hoping for higher things. I'm hoping that, okay, so uh, I walked to try and, I walked the dog the other day to try and get Jonas and Anna from school, and there was a guy standing in the high school parking lot with a megaphone, and he was preaching at all the kids that were coming out of school, and you could hear him for a mile in any direction. And it was all hellfire and brimstone. And I, and I said, in the end, it's okay. I mean, I listened to everything he said. I thought, yeah, he's right about that. He's right about that. He's right about that. And if there's anyone that you're going to scare with, with eternal hellfire and brimstone, it's young folks, right? Um, and, well, you know, uh, anybody, really. But uh, John Cassian, when he talks about this, he says the hellfire and brimstone speech is for, oh boy, beginners gulp he uses the word beginners for those who cannot be convinced to follow the Lord that have to be led by bit and bridle all right I'll give you the bit and bridle and the whip and the fire and the chains and everything (laughs) now will you will you put away your your plan to rob the bank yes 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 now that I've seen the fire and the chains how about drop the fire and the chains? Not that they don't exist, but let's, let's have you uh, pursue the Lord for a different reason. How about the fact that the kingdom of heaven can be yours and that you can enjoy <clears throat> your reward, as we say sometimes. That's pretty good. Uh, that's a better motivation. But there's an even better motivation, as you hear from St. Paul, who says, and I'll show you an even better way that's uh, how uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is introduced. I'll show you an even better way, which is just love. Just love itself. 
And this is what love looks like. It's kind. It's patient. It does not uh, hold on to wrongs. It does not count wrongs. It does all of these things. That's a much, much, much greater motivation. In the end, there is faith, there is hope, and there is love. But the greatest of these is love. Charity It's the best motivation you could possibly have. But if you have to have fire, all right. We'll, have, we'll do fire, okay? Because it's true. But man, you could be doing better than that. Um, these three motivations, they differ from one another uh, by considerable degrees of excellence, he says. For the first two belong properly to those who are tending towards perfection and have you not yet acquired a love of virtue. But the third belongs particularly to God. For only he does what is good who is moved not by fear or by the hope of reward, but by a disposition for the good alone. If you were to be cared for by a good Samaritan after you had been uh, whipped, beaten, robbed, and left for dead, and you had a person who came to you and the only reason he took you up is because he was afraid of what might happen to him if he didn't, you'd say, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, if they said, ooh, if I pick this man up from the ditch and take care of him, I'll be rewarded handsomely. Well, you'd be glad as long as they keep that faith in being rewarded handsomely for their motivation. But wouldn't it be something if the person who came to you whipped, beaten, robbed, and left for dead, and they just loved you, and they loved good, and they didn't care what happened to them or what their expense was, they just were going to take care of you because they believed in virtue, they believed in goodness, they believed in God. And they wanted to be godly to you. That's more better, don't you think? Uh, and rather than waiting for that person to come along, what this is doing, this is asking us to just be that person. Okay, now we're talking about heaven and hell, right? Um, isn't it, uh, doesn't it make a lot of sense that the person who understands that highest motivation that their most logical destiny and place for being in their home would be heaven. And in fact, heaven had already come to earth somewhat in their lives. They were already sort of participating in heaven in the fact that they had dropped all of their self-interests, either fear of being punished, hope for reward, and rather they had uh, a different mentality Hence we also, mounting by the indissoluble grace of love to the third degree of sons, who believe that everything which belongs to their father is theirs. We're in the prodigal son story here, where, where when he's speaking to the elder brother, he says, the one who didn't run off and, you know, uh, waste uh, his inheritance and riotous living, the father says to him, son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. Where are you going to go? <laughs> You're already in the middle of this. Um, we're ascending, and we're trying to attain that degree of sons uh, who believe that everything which belongs to their Father is theirs. We must strive to be worthy of receiving the image and likeness of the Heavenly Father and of being able to proclaim in imitation of the true Son... All that the Father has is mine. 
That's what Christ says. And if we are Christians, we notice that Jesus doesn't say, I will go to the cross because I don't want to go to hell. He doesn't say, I will go to the cross because just think of the rewards I'll have. He says, I will go to the cross, and in fact, I will go to hell for you because it's just right. And all the Father has is mine, and there is no fear in love, and I'm, uh, this is the nature of the second person of the Trinity. This is the nature of the Christian faith. All that the Father has in mind, what are you going to do to me? Death has lost its sting. Hence we must strive to mount in perfect ardor of mind from this fear to hope, and from hope to the love of God and the love of virtue itself, so that we may attain to a disposition for the good itself, to the extent possible to human nature, hold firmly to what is good. Where else, what other destiny could you expect for one who is following God with that mentality than heaven? Because for this son, for this daughter, all that the father has is already mine. Where else are we going to go? We can't comprehend the nature of an eternal heaven or an eternal hell. But if there's one that you could be a part of, <laughs> you could be a part of heaven. And you don't have to wait for it to happen. You participate in heaven now by your... Uh, by your let's say, disposition by your, uh, you, you don't repent simply so that you won't get in trouble. You repent because it moves you closer to the kind of mind of a son or a daughter of God. And you find that that sin that you've participated in is so not fitting. It doesn't fit. There's one thing in my life that doesn't fit. In fact, I'm always angry and upset, and I'm always bitter when I participate in these things, why don't I just drop them all together? And if you got to drop them because you're afraid of hell, do it. And I'll preach a hellfire and brimstone sermon soon, and you'll, you'll hear that I do believe in hell, but I don't believe in preaching hell every Sunday because I want higher things. I want better things for a Christian and uh, the fellow who's with the megaphone in the parking lot, it's all right, but it's the infancy of the Christian life. It's the babiness, okay? Uh, and I don't want to continually uh, preach infancy to people. I'd rather preach either adolescence or adulthood in the Christian faith. That's more better, okay? Uh, two degrees of fear. The one degree of fear is for beginners. That is... Those who are still under the yoke of servile dread. In regard to this, it is said, the slave shall fear his master. Okay, if that's what we need. But secondly, the fear uh, of the Lord. Fear the Lord, all his holy ones, for nothing is lacking to those who fear him. And a spirit of fear of the Lord shall fill him. At our confirmation, we speak about the the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. The final gift of the Holy Spirit is fear, but not the kind of fear where you're in a servile dread kind of fear, but the kind of fear of Lord that fills you. 
and that makes you uh, reverent in all circumstances, in all situations. It's not the kind of fear that causes the trembling of the knees or the weakening of the knees, but the kind of fear that will allow you to face any circumstance, regardless. Um, that's the kind of uh, fear that's being spoken of here. And I'm just saying, since we're talking about heaven and hell, the word fear comes up quite naturally, right? Um, and if there's a, two different kinds of fear, one for beginners and one for adults, I'm hoping for the adult one, okay? I'm hoping for the good one. Uh, but, if, but if preaching, uh, and some of, our, some of our clergy really are more hellfire and brimstone, if, if, uh, if preaching a sort of higher uh, notion of the Christian life results in laziness and iniquity and, and uh, the yawns of the congregation, well, I guess we're back to hellfire and brimstone. We can do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. The guy, I need a megaphone, I guess. I can do it. Uh, the Lord does it sometimes, that's for sure. Um, any comments so far about all this? It's sort of, uh, we're not really doing heaven and hell in a, in a sense. We're doing... How do you get to heaven or hell? Um, any comments? We're going to do a couple more things here and then we'll be done. All right. Uh, he has a, uh, a very good uh, analysis, I would say, about good and evil. Because I want to say that at least one false presupposition about being a Christian or going to church or following the Lord is that if I do these things, good things will happen to me. All good things will manifest. And as I get older, all answers will come to me, and I will eventually uh, come to some uh, focal point of joy, and the sun will set and I will sail off into the west, and that will be the end of my life. And most people find that, in fact, towards the end of life, things tend to get more complicated. There's more opportunities for disappointment. There's more opportunities for anger. And you've had a lifetime now of reasons to uh, be upset about things. And sometimes those pile up. And you wind up being upset and angry and frustrated and disappointed. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> uh, that's going to happen uh, either way. And so he says, b before we start heading down this path, uh, let's ask ourselves what things are really good and what things are really evil. He says there are three things in this world, namely the good, the bad, and the indifferent. Okay? I'll say most of the things that happen to your life are indifferent. As far as human affairs are concerned, then, nothing should be believed to be the chief good other than the virtue of the soul alone, which leads by a sincere faith to divine realities and makes us cling unceasingly to the unchangeable good. Which, if you listen to the preaching, if you listen to the liturgy, if you listen to the nature of the sacraments, you're seeing that what's being presented to you is good, good, very good, attain to this, ascend to this, uh, participate in this. Um, this is what is good. And what is evil, on the other hand, 
Nothing should be called bad other than sin alone, which separates us from a good God and joins us to the wicked devil. In other words, that which is good is that which attains to God. That which is evil is that which draws us away from God. There's good, there's evil, and there's the indifferent. Indifferent things are those which can go either direction. Depending on the desire and the will of the user, such as wealth, power, honor, bodily strength, health, beauty, life itself, and death, poverty, bodily sickness, insults, and other things similar to these, which can have good or bad consequences according to the character and desire of the user. I thought we were talking about heaven and hell. Oh, we are. We're talking about it. I will say that some good things are going on in your life. Some evil things are needing to be repented of, avoided of, and put to an end. But most things that happen in your life are indifferent. Have I received more money than last year? Have I received less? Have I received the employment I want? Have I not received the employment I want? Uh, For me, has crypto gone up or has crypto gone down? (laughs) No. uh, Am I sick? Am I well? Am I uh, frustrated? Am I not frustrated? Did I achieve my goal? Did I not achieve my goal? You automatically interpret these things to have a good or evil nature in themselves. They're indifferent. They depend upon you. In fact, your failure may have led to a greater sanctity than your success. Your success may have turned you into an insufferable, arrogant person. Your failure has encouraged or given you the opportunity again and again to be a humble person who is able to empathize and sympathize with those around you that also experience failure. Either one can lead you to heaven or to hell, in a sense, either here or eternally. But if every little thing that goes wrong to you, or every little thing that you think is evil, this uh, an indifferent thing, turns the wrong direction to your desire, and you consider it an evil, and you consider your life surrounded and saturated in evil, it's the wrong way to live life, says the wisdom of the ancient church. Um, we all know that you can learn something, but if you learn it in the midst of suffering, you'll learn it ten times faster than if you learned it in a book or on a YouTube video or something like that. If you suffer through it, you'll learn it in a month. <laughs> if you read about it in books and write a dissertation on it, it'll take you ten years for it to get in there. Why does God put me through fill in the blank? Because it's an indifferent situation that he means to use for you to do something better, to become something better, to become more godly or Christ-like. And I will say, that's the nature of heaven. Where does a person belong whose life has been given to the Lord such that all indifferent things that happen to him are given to him and turned into something good? That person belongs in heaven because where else does he belong? Where else does she belong? Everything is good there. <laughs> all is well and all, is, all manner of things well. Uh, what is this saying? All shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. How could you say that? Don't you understand that I have 
fill in the blank. Uh, now, if there's a real evil in your life, okay, yeah, I understand. That's, that is an evil. But if it's, don't you understand that uh, I have endured these, these difficulties? Okay. Um, when the Lord says, uh, he that does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, that doesn't really jive with the idea that the Christian life is one filled with blessing. And when there's no blessing, you're doing something wrong. It doesn't fit. Um, if we're Christians and we're following Christ and Christ took up his cross and went to the grave on behalf of others with no promised reward to himself, well, <laughs> I don't know if I can do the health and wealth gospel then because that's poverty and crucifixion. Which winds up in health and wealth, I suppose you could say. But if you're looking for right now, I don't know. Your health and wealth in this time might be to your own detriment eternally. Depends. So that's why uh, uh, we, we've got in mind not just the things that are happening to us, but we've got our telos, which is the kingdom of God, the big picture. And our skopos, which is purity of heart today. And when something happens to me that makes me bitter and angry, and oh my goodness, I, I, don't, think I, can, I don't think I can pull off kindness today. Um, well, tomorrow morning, first thing, you've got, enough, you've got work to do. There's a little confession you need to make. Because purity of heart was what we were searching for. Um, but anyway, uh, I think... That's not a bad discussion of heaven and hell. Does anybody want to talk about hellfire brimstone or, or streets paved in gold? I don't know what you'd do on a street paved in gold anyway. <laughs> but uh, I, I, many of the visions of, of heaven, I think, are mystical visions. And, and everyone's seen the painting that some people have made of heaven described in the book of Revelation where the, the city of Jerusalem, New Jerusalem is as high as it is wide. It's a giant cube. And you try to have joy in the idea of a giant cube. And you think, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, perhaps this is a theological or mystical vision. And perhaps really what we're shooting for is Christ-likeness. Where uh, even though he went to the cross and even though he uh, died on behalf of others, he was raised to the right hand of God. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That maybe that's the life. Maybe that's life for us. Imitating him, following him. Any thoughts or ideas about the four last things, Bob? Well, it seems like we're all just a mixture of some of these things that we're striving to follow Christ. That we've got good and evil in us. And I know we talked, we talked just to mention purgatory. Right, yeah, it's true. I didn't, I didn't get to purgatory either. I don't really like that term either. Yeah. Something's going to have to be purified in us. And even at the end, because I don't know anybody that died, well, other than Christ himself died really just 100%. A sinless life, Ooh, yeah. You know I mean? Right. Well, it's, that, that's where the, the idea of purgatory comes from, is from the idea that you know very well that you're not pure. <laughs> you know you're not and something's going to have to be purged. What is the nature of that purging? And how does that happen? Um, if we participate in Christ, 
His righteousness is our righteousness. And I don't go to the, to the gates of heaven pleading my own righteousness. What a pathetic scene that would be. But if Christ is in me and I am in Christ, there's a righteousness that I can claim. We make a, a, a sacrifice at the altar. We offer our, our, uh, our uh, oblation. And the only reason our oblation is worth anything is because it's joined to Christ's perfect oblation of himself. And so we still offer our unworthy offering, yet it's joined to his, so it's made whole, it's made good. We're in him, he's in us. Is there still bitterness? Yes. Um, is there still anger? Is there still disappointment? Is there still greed? Is there still, oh my gosh, let's go down the list. Yes, yes, yes. Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy upon us. Christ have mercy upon us. Lord have mercy upon us. Uh, what else can we say? Um, how does the purgation work? I don't know. It doesn't say. <laughs> but any, anyhow, uh, the Lord describes this life as the straight and narrow path, which means one foot in front of the other and progress. Um, you're not at your telos at the beginning of your journey you're looking towards the skopos with the telos in mind. There's a path that leads to a destination, which suggests there's progress to be made. So what do we do today? Progress. Do our very best. And when you come upon a day that's regress, knock it off. Turn around. 180 degree turn is called repentance. And that's why we have penitential seasons like Advent. We're in the midst of it now. And if I don't stop, we're going to mess up the next service. So, the end. Thank you.